Albus Dumbledore said, to the well-ordered mind, death is but the next great adventure. I think Luke and Jesus would have to disagree with him slightly, if not totally philosophically. Death is not simply the next great adventure unless we have been united with Jesus Christ in His resurrection. For there is no hope after death unless there is hope for resurrection. And this is what we've been singing about and considering now, the glory of Jesus' resurrection. Luke continues to ask us to look on the scene as he continues into Luke 24, which we did not read. So if you want to turn there in the Bibles in front of you, you have it, you can look and you can track with me through some of the texts we're going to consider Luke encourages us to look and to see and to respond, not only to the beauty of the cross, but now to the glory of the resurrection of Jesus, who has crushed the power of sin and death. And that's what we're celebrating today. That's what we're rejoicing in today, is that we are free in Christ from the curse of sin and death. So all those who follow Jesus know that in the end, death is not something that we fear ultimately, But we do recognize that death is the last enemy, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. But remember where we left the characters in our story. Remember where we left the followers of Jesus. They were waiting on Saturday. They were waiting and wondering. And then, first thing on Sunday morning, they sprint to the place of burial. They sprint to the tomb, and the women arrive first. And they find what? They find that the tomb is empty. And they have this encounter with the angels. And the angels remind them of the things that Jesus taught them. That he would have to be delivered over to the hands of sinful men. That he would have to die. And then on the third day he would rise. And things begin to click in their minds. And they realize this is the third day. And so they quickly run back to where the apostles are. And they're starting to put things together in their mind and they return and they tell the apostles that the tomb is empty and the apostles, in the most classic way, don't believe them. In fact, Luke tells us that they don't believe them because they think that it's an idle tale. But then Peter runs. Peter runs and he sees that the tomb is empty and he comes back. It's true. And then Jesus appears to his followers at various times and in various places along the way to some men traveling down a road and he begins to speak with them and they're highly offended that this man has no idea what's taking place in Jerusalem and then Jesus is offended at them that they don't understand what's happening in all reality and he explains it to them. And then he sits at a meal and eats with them and as they're eating, Jesus' identity is revealed to them and they are amazed. See, this is no mere illusion. This is no mere trickery of Jesus' followers. There's been too many people to see Jesus. There's too many people to see the empty tomb. There's been too many ways that He has revealed Himself. This could not be a mere plot of deception by His followers. This is real. And the reality of His death and bodily resurrection was undeniable to His own followers. And they knew, they knew that this changed everything. 
And Jesus shows up and, and they see him and their only response is this. He's risen. He's risen indeed. They have no explanation other than to say he was dead and now he's alive. He was in the tomb, and now he's risen. And this reminds us of the blind man in John 9, where he tells the Pharisees, I don't know how this happened. I once was blind, and now I see. That's the only explanation I can give you. And that's the only explanation the followers of Jesus give those that ask them. We don't know. All we know, he's dead, and now he's arisen. He's alive. The explanation, of course, is this, right? He truly is the Messiah. He truly is the Son of God. He truly is the divine one who came in flesh to be the perfect, innocent sacrifice for us and to conquer the curse of sin and death. It's true. And this changes everything. You thought Apple changed everything. And then they told you again that it changed everything again. And now we don't buy into their slogans anymore because we know it doesn't change everything. But this, the resurrection of Jesus, changes everything. In Luke 24, verses 38 to 43, Jesus is there with his disciples. And, and if you have your Bible, read it with me. It's amazing. He says to them, why are you troubled? And why do you, why do you doubts arise in your hearts? Or why do they arise in your mind? Why do you question this? See my hands. See my feet. See that it's me. Touch me. And see. See, Luke, again, causes us to look and to see and to embrace the reality of what's taking place. The beauty of the cross and the glory of the resurrection. It's true. And Jesus goes on and he says, For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I'm not a mere ghost. I'm not a mere vision, illusion in your mind. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate before them. See, the disciples, they knew that if this were true, it changes everything. They were so overwhelmed with this reality, with the joy and the amazement of this reality, that it took a while for it to sink in. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Probably nothing nearly like this. In fact, I know nothing nearly like this. But have you ever been in a situation where something so good and so amazing has happened to you, and you just take a step back and you say, man, I just got to pinch myself. Is this real? Until it sinks in. And so Jesus explains to them that everything that the Old Testament and the prophets and everything that they've been waiting for, for this Messiah, this innocent one to come, has been fulfilled in him. And it's still being fulfilled. And yet there's more to come. There's more to come. In fact, now that Jesus has been delivered over to these sinful men, and now that he's died, and now that he's been in the tomb, and now that he's risen from the dead, now it's time for the next phase of the glory of the resurrection to take the world by storm. And it's this, in verse 47 of chapter 24, there's going to be a message of hope and a message of transformation and reconciliation that must go out into all the world. So Jesus says, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be, it must be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations beginning here at Jerusalem. 
And what Jesus is saying is that everything about his life and death and resurrection must now be proclaimed to the entire world. Everybody needs to hear this. Why? Because his resurrection is the most significant event that's happened in human history. And everyone needs to hear. So here are the immediate effects of the resurrection and the appropriate response from us, from Luke's perspective. Here's what he tells us. This is how we should respond to the glory of the resurrection. First, the implicit response is this. If you're seeing this, if you're seeing the glory of the cross, the glory of the resurrection and the beauty of the cross, and you've not yet turned from your sin and believed in Christ, then that's what you need to do. And secondly, those of you who have who have tasted and seen the goodness and the glory of Christ in His cross and resurrection, here's your response. You need to rehearse these truths over and over in your mind so you recognize how it impacts your life and your story, and then you need to go tell the world about this. So repent and believe, and rehearse and proclaim. If you've repented and believed, then then you need to rehearse the truths and the glory of this, and, and you need to go proclaim it. So, so Luke says through the words of Jesus to us. So he turns and he says to his, his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. You've seen me. You've touched me. You've ate with me. You know the truth of my life. You know what I've done. You know my death. You know my resurrection. And now you should go and engage the world with my glory. And we ask, how is this possible? Because these are just average men and women like me and you. Common folk. How would they make any difference in the world? And Jesus comforts them with these words in Luke twenty four forty nine. He says, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And we ask, well, what power is this? What promise is this that Jesus is speaking of? And here's the most amazing thing. He's speaking of the promise and the power of his own indwelling presence in their lives. God himself is going to rest on these people. God himself in the person, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is going to come upon them and transform their lives. And so we're going to see them in, in Acts, which is the sequel to Luke's gospel. We're going to see in Acts how people are transformed from being fearful to fearless. Or from being people who who hate and want to destroy others to people who love and seek to give life to others. See, the very presence of God for for those who believe and, and trust in Jesus and turn from their sin, their lives are going to be totally transformed. They're going to become worshipers of God. And this is the emphasis of Luke's text here at the end. He says they, they, they worship him with joy and gladness. They go to the temple and they worship and they bless God and they praise him every day. Well, how is this possible? Because, because now they've been opened up to the true presence of God in their life. They are actually aware of what it means to truly worship and obey him. Namely, they're to be his joyful witnesses. 
They're to obey and worship God through not just singing praise with their lips like we've done this morning and to encourage others to sing this way here in our presence. But, but one way that we worship God is to joyfully obey His Word. And namely, that means going out and proclaiming this truth to others. But we're not alone. We're empowered and we're transformed by the, by the Spirit of God to accomplish this mission. So some of you this morning might be asking, this is a difficult thing. This is a difficult thing to tell people about the glory of Jesus and the beauty of the cross. I know, I know, we're, we're fearful people. But here's the most amazing thing. You have the Spirit of God because of the glory of the resurrection resting on you to empower you and to transform your life so that you can proclaim this message to others. Now, how do we do this? Well, it's very simple, actually. Everything that we've been thinking about this morning, the, the, the beauty of the cross and the glory of the resurrection, we need to think about it ourselves more. We need to be captivated, captivated by it ourselves. We need to see the beauty of the cross ourselves. We need to see the glory of the resurrection ourselves for our own life and how it changes everything about us and our hope for the future. And as we embrace it, as we gaze on it, as we're captivated by it, it's not a difficult thing to then go and joyfully tell someone else of what is so clearly beautiful to you. So here are the responses. As we look and as we respond, we must repent and believe and we must rehearse and proclaim. See, when we know, when we see the love of God on display in Christ and we make it our own, it's not a difficult thing to rehearse it and to proclaim it and to show it to others. The music team is going to come back and we're going to respond in this final section together to the glory of the resurrection. And as they come, may we understand that through His death and resurrection that Jesus frees us from the power of sin and death so that in our obedient joy we can proclaim His glory to the nations.